Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. We're going to talk about Easter this afternoon um, because Jesus is risen. He's risen. He is alive. Jesus has conquered the grave. He defeated death. And along with death, he defeated sin. Our sins are forgiven. Heaven is opened up. Our eternity is secured because the grave of our Lord Jesus Christ is empty. He's alive. And today we get to celebrate that as the best day in all human history. And so I personally want to thank you just for the privilege of celebrating Easter with you. I know Easter afternoon service is kind of an awkward time for Easter celebration, and especially if this is not your church home, we want you to know that we are just honored to be with you this Easter Sunday. And so thank you for taking time to be here. I want to start with a question. I think it's an important question. And that question is, what are you going to do with Easter? What will you do with Easter? It's kind of an odd question, right? I, I get that. Maybe you're thinking, you know, well, day's almost over. Maybe I'll put it away till next spring. That's what I'll do, right? What are you going to do with Easter when, when your faith feels frail? What will you do with Easter when, when sin looks attractive to you? What will you do with Easter when you feel let down or betrayed? What will you do with Easter when you feel ignored or misunderstood? Perhaps when your marriage is struggling, when your kids are rebellious and you feel like you're, you're at your wit's end. What will you do with Easter when you just feel stuck in life? When you wonder, hey, is this job ever going to work out? Will this relationship ever pan out? Will I ever get to pay off this debt? What is it that you will do with Easter when you're staring at the ceiling at night wondering, how am I even going to get out of bed to face the day? When you wonder if your existence even matters. I've been there. What will we do with Easter then? What do you think... God wants to have us do with Easter. How we answer that question matters. 
And so we're going to look at Matthew 28, which is a written account of the original Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what you need to know. I'll just kind of put it plainly right on the front end, is that we live in a time where when religion is considered sort of old-fashioned and out of touch, right? Uh, people treat it as though it's a matter of preference or opinion. People will say things like, oh, all religions are, are just the same at the end of the day, so let's just kind of choose whatever works for you. I'll choose what works for me. Or we'll say things like, hey, what's, what's true for you might be true for you, for, for you, but not for me. And there's no real question about whether uh, whatever it is that we believe is, is actually true or not. But any type of faith or belief that is not based on truth is at best vain and irresponsible. I mean, no one really believes that we can choose our own truth, right? I mean, we hear this all the time, right? Like, like, like oh, tell us, tell, thanks for sharing your truth with me, right? Like, we see that in interviews you know, all, all the time these days. Uh, but no one actually believes that we can treat truth that way. I mean, think about it. When you, when you walk up uh, to the In-N-Out counter, which I just did the other day, right? I walk up to the In-N-Out counter to, to order my double-double meal, and you hand them your card, and, and they say, well, sir, I don't feel like you have enough to purchase your meal. What would you say? I mean, hopefully you'd be like, dude, it doesn't matter what you feel, right? It doesn't matter what you feel. There's, there's money there. I, I know there's money to back that up. I know the balance, and, and, and I want you to actually run it. You know, just, just, just run it. You'll see. You don't want them, like, without even running it to just look back at you and say, well, hey, you know, that might be true for you, but that's not true for us. I mean, the reality is either the card's going to run or it won't. You either have the balance or you don't. It doesn't matter how you feel about it, how someone else feels about it. It's an issue of truth. Is this true or not? And the claims of the resurrection are a matter of verifiable historic truth. It's the type of verifiable truth that has life or death consequences. Listen, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. There is no Christian religion without the resurrection. There's no savior, there's no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, no eternal life to look forward to, no hope for our future. And the billions and billions of people who throughout history and today worship Jesus are just gullible fools because they place their hope for eternal life in a dead man. Did you know that even the Bible admits this? Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he admits this when he says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. But on the other hand, if the resurrection is true, that Jesus rose from the grave, that he rose in triumphant victory over evil, sin, and death, then it is without question the most magnificent, the most significant, the most world-changing event in all of human history. And that makes it more than worthy of our consideration this afternoon. And so let's walk through Matthew 28, and I want us to look at this passage of Scripture on the resurrection 
Here's the first thing that we see from this. This is point number one. I've got three for you. Point number one is that the resurrection, you'll see, surprises us. The resurrection of Jesus, it it surprises us. It shocks us. You see this right there in verse one when it says, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, the first day of the week being Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And so there's this group of women by the name of Mary and Mary, and they're with this group of people, and they're going out to Jesus's tomb to visit him, to visit a dead man, to honor his grave. Now, look, we need to establish that Jesus died before we begin to talk about the very fact that he rose. Jesus was executed by the first century Roman government. That means that as part of his execution, he was beaten all night long. He was scourged and flogged, which was this barbaric act that they did where they'd strip a man down so his backside is exposed. And then two executioners would stand on either side of him to his left and his right behind him. And they'd whip him over and over with this device called a a flagrum. It had a, a, a solid handle on one end, and then you had these leather strips uh, that, that came out from there, like pieces of leather rope. And at the end of those leather rope uh, were pieces of like ceramic tile or, or bone or rocks. Barbaric. This flagrum would rip out pieces of flesh. Many men died just from getting scourged and flogged alone. And then the historic record says that Jesus was crucified. In other words, he was hung on a cross. The whole point of crucifixion was to end someone's life if it didn't end already from the the flogging. And just to make sure he was dead, they stuck a spear into his side. They they ran it up under his ribcage so that it punctured his heart sack. And the Bible says that water and blood flowed from his side, which is typically a sign that someone was suffering uh, hypervolemic shock, which is a great loss of blood before they died. And all of this, all of these details, the only reason I mention it is to make the the very sure and tragic point that Jesus was dead. He was he was truly dead. They pronounced him dead. They wrapped him up in a hundred pounds of burial linens and spices because he was dead. As a matter of fact, that's actually why these women were going to the tomb that Easter morning. The Gospels of Mark and John tell us that, that they brought spices with them to anoint his body with oils and perfumes and spices, uh, which is a way that they would fight the repugnant smell of a decaying corpse so that visitors could stomach it better when they visited the tomb in the graveside. It was clear from all these details that these women and the disciples of Jesus were were not expecting a resurrection. It's clear that they came to mourn a dead friend. 
Even though Jesus said that if his body was destroyed, he would raise it up in three days, he told them that a number of times, especially in the last week of his life. But resurrection was so out of the realm of possibility, so, so just beyond what their minds could, could grasp that they thought, uh, he must mean something else. Couldn't be a resurrection. I mean, if they were expecting a resurrection, they'd be like all outside of the tomb with their lawn chairs and their igloo coolers waiting for the day, waiting for that moment that he'd come out. But what do we see instead? His closest friends are gone. They deserted him at his, at his, at his, at his killing, at the cross. They deserted him before he got there. They're mourning. They're grieving. These women brought spices and perfumes to anoint his dead body, which was an expensive ritual, something that they put a lot of money invested into just to honor the dead. It's clear they expected him to stay dead. And that's my point, is that the whole resurrection thing is just so surprising. It's so shocking. It was impossible for them to believe until they actually saw him. Some skeptics of the resurrection say, well, maybe the disciples made the whole resurrection story up. Maybe they made the whole thing up. It actually addresses that later on in Matthew 28. But is that an option? Is that an option for us? Here, let me tell you why that theory doesn't work. For a number of reasons, but here's just a few of them. First, the disciples were no mind to steal the body of Jesus, which is what some were claiming happened. I mean, these were the guys that fled at Jesus' arrest. They were the ones who were crushed, mourning, and grieving at his death. They were gone. They were not in a right state of mind to come in and steal his body a couple days later. Secondly, the authorities posted armed guards at the tomb because they were actually afraid that somebody would try and come and steal his body uh, and, and claim that he, 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 he resurrected, because that was the claim for a lot of people who, who claimed to be some sort of like Messiah revolutionary at the time. And so they would always post armed guards at the tomb of somebody who claimed to be some type of Messiah. And the disciples could never overpower Roman warriors. They couldn't bribe the guard either, first of all, because uh, they didn't have a lot of money. But secondly, um, failing on your military post was considered a capital offense. Third, if they did steal the body, then all of them, nearly all of them, ended up dying for a lie. I mean, history shows, and I'm not just saying Christian history, we've got secondary and tertiary sources of history. You've got a historian by the name of Josephus. You've got multiple like first century historians and government records that talk about these followers of Jesus who deserted him at his death, but then followed him after claiming a resurrection to the point that many of them were imprisoned, crucified themselves, boiled alive, ripped in pieces. Rarely will someone die for what they believe, but even more rare is someone dying for what they don't believe. You want to know how these disciples of Jesus went from being mere cowards who left at his arrest to resilient heroes of the early church? 
You want to know what it was that got them all encouraged and ready to roll, risking their lives and planting Christian churches at a time in the first century when it was very much illegal to do so? When just a day earlier, they were complete cowards who had left him after he got arrested. You want, you want to know what changed them from one state to the other is that they saw something. They experienced something. They, they saw something that changed him. You know what it was? It was the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is what they saw. I mean, see, the only reasonable explanation is that the resurrection, it really happened. I mean, you've got like atheistic, skeptic scholars today who they will go all like in all kinds of places to try and argue to you about how the body of Jesus disappeared and why it is that his followers came up with this religion and taught it to people. You won't find any reputable scholar trying to argue that Jesus didn't exist, because you can't. The evidence is, is, is you can't argue against it. You, you, you won't find anyone, any of these uh, you know, uh, uh, secular scholars trying to argue that, that Jesus wasn't crucified and died, that his early followers weren't persecuted for their faith. That's all historically verifiable. The resurrection, it really happened. It surprised them, but it happened and it changed everything. They gained a spiritual strength and a hope that no amount of hurt, suffering, torment, and death could take away. You see, if Jesus never rose, then Christianity would have been put to rest. But because Jesus did rise, Christianity lives on. It surprised them with a hope unimaginable, and it changed everything. This leads us to our second point. Not only does the resurrection surprise us, but the resurrection saves us. The resurrection saves us. This is the crux of the Christian message. In verse 2 through 4, it says this, that after that there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. <coughs> the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. In other words, they keeled over and fainted. You know, the author of this, Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, is telling us here that the resurrection is an earth-shattering event. It's a world-changing event. All the vain efforts of the religious zealots and soldiers to seal and guard the tomb is contrasted in these verses with the power of God to open it. They tried to keep it sealed and keep them, the disciples, silent. But God opened up the tomb and said, spread this news. Go talk about it. It continues in verse 5 and 6 when it says that the angel told the women who arrived, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. But he is not here. For he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Man, that's the moment that we're waiting for, right? This moment right here is the one that we're waiting for. This is the vindication 
that the entire Old Testament pointed forward to. The angel says, fear not, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. I know who you're looking for. Jesus Christ, the crucified one, he's who you're looking for, but guess what? He's not here. He's not here, he's risen. Just as he said, I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be those women and to hear those words. I mean, to be one of those women that, 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 that rolled up before dawn on Sunday morning and to hear those words. For the last two days, your heart has been a mixture of grief, confusion, maybe frustration, even disappointment, grief because you've lost your mentor and best friend, someone you truly loved. Yeah, I know, so sad. (laughs) Confusion because you thought he was the chosen one to bring us to God's kingdom. Frustration and disappointment because now he's, he's gone. He's gone, he's dead. And you're wondering what all that means for the great things that he said and promised and taught about. Now he's dead, now he's gone. What does this mean for all that he taught us? And then you're at his tomb. You're one of these women and you're at his tomb and then you hear the words of a fearsome angel, a messenger of the Lord saying, don't be afraid. The one you're looking for, he's not here. He has risen. Imagine what it must have been like to hear those words. Man, if this is true, if Jesus has risen, then that means all about what we thought about who he is and what he came to do is true after all. He was right all along. These women were there for Jesus' speaking tour around Galilee. They were there for his miracles. They were there when he made the blind see and the deaf hear, when he healed the sick, when, when he, he, he healed the lepers, when he cast out the demons. They heard all that he said about the kingdom of God and the Savior that Jesus had come to be. And it's all starting to come together for them now at this moment by the empty tomb. You see, Christianity either falls or it either stands or falls on the resurrection. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. And it's not to minimize all the other great things that Jesus did. He was a great teacher. We can only see the power of his teaching and and the veracity of his ethics through the resurrection. He was a great miracle worker. But the greatest miracle of all miracles was his resurrection. What he accomplished on the cross was also clearly important, but we can only understand the significance of the cross through the vindication 
of the resurrection. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead and we believe that he did, if he rose from the dead, then we have to accept all that he said and all that he did and all that he claimed to be. If he didn't rise from the dead, then none of this matters because it's all a sham. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then he has complete and absolute sovereign authority over all that is. He's the true king of all creation and the only one who has the authority both to judge and to save. I want us to consider now just the scope of Jesus's authority, his authority to save. First, he saves us from death to life. He has the authority to save us from death to life. I mean, think about it. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means he has authority over death. Before he died, he said these words in John 10. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Speaking of his life, I lay my life down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. And who else has that kind of power? Who has that kind of power to determine when they live? Like, like you can't decide one day, I'd like to live, and then talk your parents into bringing you into the world, right? Do the thing. How awkward would that be, right? And what dead person has the power to say, hey, I'm coming back now. I'm coming back now. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that he has that authority. He has authority over life and death. Jesus also has the authority to save us from Satan and sin. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means he has authority over both sin and Satan too. And why is that? It's because the reason that things even die in the first place is because sin has entered and stained and broken our world. Death, the Bible says, is the payment for sin. Humanity has turned its back on God and rejected his authority and instead given authority over to Satan and to sin. Isaiah 53 says that every one of us has turned against God to our own ways, our own ways of thinking and dreaming and living. And the consequences of this sin, the Bible says, is, is death, nothing short of death. So then why did Jesus die? He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He took our sin upon himself, and on the cross, he paid the price for it with his own blood. Jesus has authority over Satan and sin. He also has authority to save us from evil and suffering. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means he has authority over evil and suffering. Do you know what the greatest evil and injustice in all human history is? It is the rejection of God's power and authority through us sending Christ to the cross. 
the greatest suffering ever endured was the suffering of Christ on the cross. He not only suffered physically, but emotionally as he was shamed by his friends and enemies. And spiritually, when the Father meted out justice against sin, our sin, on his own beloved Son. Through his resurrection, through his resurrection, we see that evil does not have the final say. We see that suffering does not have the final say. We see that Jesus has supreme authority over evil, sin, suffering, and death. In fact, right after this passage in Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 18, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and me? If Jesus rose from the dead, if he has authority over life and death, over Satan and sin, evil and suffering, then we must conclude that he also has authority over you and me. He has authority over you and me. The risen king has authority over you and me. Are you willing to submit to that authority? The humbling message of Christianity's gospel is that hope could never be found in how religious you can be. Hope is never found in doing your religious duties. It's not found in anything you can muster up and do. It's found in the world-changing things that God has done on your behalf in love for you through Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about what you have to do and what you don't get to do. Christianity is about what Jesus has done. And placing the authority of, of, of your life rightly in his hands. Every other religion will tell you there are things you have to do to be accepted by God, to make it into the kingdom. Every other religion will tell you that there are things you need to achieve in this life in order to please God. But the gospel, which means good news of Jesus Christ, says no. There's nothing you can do to ever achieve acceptance with God. You are more sinful than you could ever understand, and God is way more holy and other and perfect than you could ever try to impress. There's nothing you could do to appease him, nothing you could do to earn eternal life. But the good news is that God therefore stepped in. In Jesus Christ, he literally put skin in the game because we were hopeless without him. This is why salvation comes through the name of Jesus. This is the foundation of confessional Christianity. Romans 10 verses 9 and then 13 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you call on the name of of the Lord Jesus. What do we do with this? 
What do we do with a verse like that? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus asked this question during his ministry. He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? That is Jesus' question for us today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that the King Jesus Christ is today? Do you recognize him as the risen one? If you do that, if you truly confess the risen King Jesus, then everything changes, everything. That leads us to our last and final point. We'll go through this one quickly. Point number three, the resurrection also shapes us. So the resurrection surprises us, it saves us, and it doesn't just save us from our past, but it shapes us for now and into the future. Verse seven says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he, Jesus, has risen from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. And so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them, met the women and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. What I want you to see from these verses is that the resurrection shapes followers of Jesus into wholehearted worshipers to where they just fall at his feet. They surrender before him. They worship King Jesus. And they not only become wholehearted worshipers, but he sends them into the world with a mission to spread the hope of this good news. I'll make this point quickly, but God wants us, or he wants to do, rather, God wants to do so much more in us than just to make, have us make a theological statement on the resurrection. He wants so much more from us than to just recognize the historical facts of the resurrection. He even wants more for us, from us than just to, to celebrate the resurrection. Those are all fine things, but what God wants for us is to live in the freedom and the power of the resurrection, to be shaped by it. What do I mean by that? Galatians 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live the resurrection is to say, I no longer live, but Christ, he now lives in me which is a way of saying my old self has passed away, but I've been born again to a new way of life. And so it's not just you facing your problems alone. You now have the resurrected King Jesus living inside you to carry you through. It's not just you having to have a hard conversation alone. You have the reconciling ministry of the resurrection empowering you through that. It's not just you figuring out what on earth you're here for. You have the resurrected King Jesus making you new, 
giving you a new mission and purpose in life, empowering you to live for the glory of God and the good of others for the rest of your days. It's no longer just you suffering alone or you grieving alone. You have the resurrected King Jesus living inside you to remind you that this is not the end. There is a hope. There is a future. And the resurrection points to that. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you live in resurrection faith? Do you face life's difficulties saying, the resurrected King Jesus is with me? Let me ask you that question again from the beginning of our time. What will you do with Easter? What will you do with Easter? Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical but curious about this whole Jesus thing. If that's you, I want to invite you to consider the claims of the resurrection, to repent and believe. If you want that fleshed out more on what that looks like and what surrendering to Jesus looks like, we would be happy to talk you through that, um, either up here up front after the service or at the, the connect table out back. And maybe you're here as a Christian and King's Cross is your church home. You know the resurrection is, is real. You believe it with all your heart. Let me invite you to live it with all your life. For all of us, know that today, Jesus Christ is alive and well. He's ruling and reigning as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. His resurrection is his vindication. And the Bible tells us that right now, after the resurrection, Jesus, after he ascended back to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes in prayer for you and for me that our faith might be strengthened as we live out his mission in the world. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sinless savior, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And as sure as he rose from the grave, he will one day return to bring heaven down to earth. And a day when all that he started in making the world new will be finally completed on that day that he returns. On that day, there will be no more death, no more sin. Satan, who's already been defeated on the cross, will be gone forever. He'll have no influence on creation. There will be an end to all evil, a stop to all suffering. No more sickness, no more cancer, no more unexplained illnesses, no more tragic deaths, no more mental health crises, no more shootings in our schools, no more corruption, no more oppression, no more injustices. The Bible says that the lost will be found, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the hungry will be fed. 
and everyone sad will have every tear wiped away and all of us will enjoy the glory of God in all his unmatched splendor for all eternity. This is the hope of Easter. This is the hope of resurrection. Will you rest in that today? Will you rest in his victory from here on forward? This is why we come back Easter after Easter. It's why we come back Sunday after Sunday on the Lord's Day to remember the resurrection, to rehearse the hope of the gospel, to scratch that gnawing itch that we all have at the soul level because somewhere deep down we remember what it was like to be with God in the garden and we want to find our way back to that. There is a way back and his name is Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Our only hope is the risen Jesus. He came for you. He died for you, was buried for you, and he rose from the grave for you, and if you believe in him, with you. And he did that because he loves you and he's ready to receive. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.